Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast, episode 104 here on this Sunday evening. Sam Lebowitz, Jack Hendon, um, the start of the winter meetings today, which is fun, should have hopefully an engaging, fun week of off-season transactions. Jack and I not in San Diego, that might be fun, but in the meantime, we come to you from our, um, wherever we usually podcast, Jack. Um, before we address the elephant in the room, this being the first episode in Pleasant Good Evening podcast history in which Jacob deGrom is not a New York Met, um, how are you doing, I suppose, generally? Because I don't think any of us in Mets land are doing great right now. Yeah, it sucks. This sucks. Uh, how did you find out about Jacob deGrom leaving? Because I promise you, the way I found out was worse. Yeah, I think pretty standard. Uh, I've got Jeff Passon's tweet notifications. And, uh, you know, the Rangers were really, really quiet about deGrom leaving, about uh, like letting all that stuff leak out. And there were no reports that a deal was imminent. It was just, oh, oh wow, it's official. It's it's done already. And uh that pass and tweet came through on my notifications on my phone and my heart sank to the floor. Um, and then it became a, an evening of doom scrolling as it was for, I imagine many Mets fans, but what about you? I got a text from one of my high school friends, uh, like literally like, and at that point, cause you know, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you where someone that, doesn't usually like feed you information uh sends you something like for me when I read he just sent DeGrom to the Rangers to like our group chat and um you know in order for the news to travel to him like that it has to clear a lot of uh like hurdles I guess right like it's not just that Jeff Passon tweeted it but like he probably saw it on like Bleacher Report or something like there's no way that this was a mistake or a misreport it's cleared a bunch of lanes and like yeah I found out just through Facebook Messenger um not 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 at all the same uh I mean, yeah, it was really, it wasn't even an agree to terms thing. It was, they signed him. It was done in the, you know, it was just done under the cover of darkness. And um, I mean, that's sort of how Jacob deGrom likes things done. He's not a big, you know, he's, he's not going to buy time on ESPN to make a decision. He's not going to post it to his YouTube and uh, share merch with all the different fan bases that may get to see him. He just wanted to go to Texas. And uh, I mean, I really, really wish the guy well, and I'm very happy for him that he's finally getting that kind of, that kind of paycheck. Um, we'll definitely talk a little bit about just the, the market implications of that. Um, because I think you would agree with me that five years and $185 million was probably too steep uh, of an investment for someone of his age with the mileage that he has on his arm. Um, but yeah, it's, they, it doesn't the, make me feel better about the fact that, you know, the best pitcher I've ever seen uh, in a Met uniform isn't going to be wearing a Met uniform anymore. It sucks. Yeah. Um, 
I, uh, I agree with you there in terms of the contract. I mean, it was, it was pretty clear based on the reports that came out shortly thereafter that um, DeGrom's camp certainly didn't think that the Mets would go there uh, and therefore didn't really give them a chance to. I mean, I don't know anybody really that thought he was going to get five guaranteed years coming off of the injury history that he's had, period. But especially the last two years where it felt like he could hardly get through a start without a moment of pause, Mm -hmm. without did he just tweak something? That kind of moment where you're like, did he just break again? Like that with all that considered, the fact that he's also 34, it just it felt almost like it was more likely he was gonna get a pillow contract as opposed to a legit long-term deal. I mean, the deal that people were expecting was the Scherzer contract. And that's more or less what it turned out the Mets offered him. Yeah. And, you know, that's okay. It's a fine offer to make. Yeah, it's a competitive offer. It's a totally fine offer. It's a a, certainly, I mean, it, it blows out most starting pitching contracts that we've ever seen before certainly i mean what pitchers have broken 40 million dollars a year besides max scherzer there's not many Mm -mm. and now jacob grom is one of them because he's he's the the way the contract is set up he's getting 30 mil in 2023 and then each of the next two seasons he's getting 40 after that yeah which is uh hefty for a guy who's gonna yeah it's a it's a it's a hefty contract i mean that first notification comes through and it's like oh my god he's signing for the rangers or with the rangers it's like wow first of all the shock that he's actually leaving this team i mean the writing was on the walls the the mets beat and the columnists around new york really haven't let anyone forget the last couple of days that They've been bashing his skull in as he's left. Just yeah. this is a guy who didn't want to play in New York. And uh, Joel Sherman saying that he had no leadership value and various crappy things to say about a guy who won two Cy Youngs in a rookie of the year and helped pitch the team to the World Series while he was in a Met uniform. Um, but then you see the contract, right? And it's like, as painful as it is, you can't blame him for taking that contract, not even a little bit. Because no. that is by far the best offer that he was ever going to get. And yeah. I think it, it far exceeded my expectations on the final number that he was going to get. I mean, it, it could wind up being six years north of $220 million if the options kick in. Yeah. I mean, agents for every free agent starting pitcher right now are licking their chops at what this means for their younger or in Justin Verlander's case, potentially better clients. Um, there's a lot of money to go around now. Um, it sets it sets a crazy precedent. Um, ultimately, a good one. We're super pro labor here, and it you know it means players getting more of their uh, you know more of the slice, which is a really good thing. But uh, 
I mean, yeah, I guess to your point, since you've mentioned it about the articles that have been written about Jacob deGrom, it's it's very convenient, I think, for everyone to try and be Dick Young now that the ace has left the building and write a piece about how the guy hated it here, wasn't a good guy, um, won't be missed, yada, yada. Like, But it's so easy to write that when the guy is actually gone. And, um, you know, there's a reason that you never read about stuff like this with players that you really like while they're on the team. Um, And it's because the team has an investment in them and their fans have an investment in them. And this was a prime opportunity for someone on the, you know, on the Mets side to leak uh, some news about his, uh, his opinion on masks, or, I mean, they either leaked that in the immediate wake of DeGrom leaving or people knew about it and waited till DeGrom left to write a story about it, which is like, however you want to slice it, I don't care too much to go into what Jacob DeGrom's politics are, because like I've been known, he's from Florida. Um, it's it's not that the from, horse has been out of the barn for a minute. Like He's from the panhandle, specifically. Yeah, like... Like, I knew that. Are you going to write an article about every baseball player the Mets had on their team in 2021 who wasn't vaccinated? Because there like, were a lot of them. Right. I mean, how many is it? Are we only reserving this for people that everybody likes, um, that everyone has these feelings about saying goodbye to? Again, I like I understand people have stories to write. I respect that. It's it's part of New York media. But um it's just not it's not going to work on me I'll tell you that it's it's not going to change how I feel about the guy um and the money certainly like none of that's going to really change it either um I feel like the response to DeGrom leaving has been a little bit disappointing might not be the right word because at this point I shouldn't be surprised that New York sports fans have these like crazy entitlement complexes but um the entitlement complex is a lot to stomach also just as someone who's very grateful for the guy he didn't know the mets or mets fans anything yeah i don't the think mets really. owed him a couple wins maybe right like yeah. yeah the mets owed him certainly more than he owed the mets i mean this is a guy who literally put life and limb out for this team over and over again clearly he's a guy who's physically um maybe not as adept for a full season's workload over the years has been proven um, and, uh, you know, pitching is one of the worst things you could do, uh, physically to your body. It's yeah. really bad for you. So, I mean, like any pitcher who gives eight seasons to a team is putting a lot out there is, is really working hard for your organization and for the fans. I mean, uh, fans, I think have treated Jake very well it's hard not to treat someone who's performed to the level that he's performed at well as a fan, especially in a, in a, a superstar kind of market. Like it's, it's hard not to treat that guy well because he, he didn't, he hardly ever let the Mets down. He hardly ever met, let Mets fans down. Um, but it is disheartening to see the way that fans have kind of reacted uh, with him on his way out. I agree with you in that regard. Again, I, I, I also agree with you on the the politics aspect is that, listen, I mean, does it really matter if, uh, if part of the reason why DeGrom wanted to go play in Texas is because they have more lax COVID regulations and they have 
you know, politics that more line up with his personal beliefs. Yeah, that could probably have that might have something to do with it. It might not. But I do know that to write a hit piece on the guy where that's part of the hit piece is a, is a bit of a bad look considering the clubhouses he played in during the COVID period. Like he wasn't the only guy in there. Like he wasn't leading the charge. He didn't have a, a pitchfork and a torch saying we're going to burn down Dr. Fauci's mansion. Like he didn't lead the other unvaccinated Mets in rebellion. He also doesn't like any posts uh, that praise anti-Semitism on Twitter. Like, and you know, yeah. I think. Yeah. Might not have even most, been the most problematic picture on his staff. So many of these guys probably hate the two of us uh, because of like, you know, our ancestry. Like, I'm just so jaded to that anyway, at this point that like, it's, and it's unfortunate, right? It's, it's unfortunate that I have to, you know, say things like it doesn't matter to me anymore, but um, it matters. I mean, there's a line in the sand that if a guy yeah. crosses, I'm not going to support that player, but DeGrom didn't do anything publicly. That's going to make me say, screw this guy, you know, yeah. especially. Yeah. You're not going to convince me. Uh, you're not going to, that's this, you know, you got to wake up earlier, I guess you have to have better material. Because this is not that surprising to me is is the bigger thing. No, it's not. And it is a really bad look for the reporters who are publishing these pieces 24 hours after he signs elsewhere. Because just to use Joel Sherman because as an example, because I found that one line very, very cutting um, in which he said it was basically a tweet, you know, uh, publishing an article saying, well, if if a, a guy who's been injured all his career and has never shown any leadership qualities could get five years, then I guess we're going to find out how much Aaron judge gets. Cause he's a guy who has leadership quality, whatever it was, but Sherman literally inciting that DeGrom did not deserve the length of his contract specifically in part because of a quote unquote lack of leadership qualities. So to go to Sherman as an example, just because the next time that Joel Sherman might need comment from Jacob deGrom is in a playoff situation, which might not even happen because he plays for the Rangers, mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's okay for Joel to put that thing out now. If if Joel has these opinions about Jacob deGrom for the last number of years, if John Heyman or Buster Olney or whoever else was writing stuff about deGrom know stuff about his politics that are worth putting in print on December the 3rd, 2022. If they knew that two years ago, if they knew that on December the 3rd, 2020, if it's worth printing now, it's worth printing then, and it's not worth printing now. So the only reason you're doing it now as opposed to then or not at all is because you find that it benefits you now. Right. Yeah. And it's it's cowardly journalism is what I find it to be. And it's 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 a it's bad it's a it's bad practice. Whether you're whether these these reporters are doing this on their own volition or whether they're being fed stuff from a Mets front office that we know in the Wilpon days would bash players on the way out. Oh yeah. And there are holdovers from that front office that are currently there still today. 
So, I mean, whether it's one or the other, whether it's journals doing it of their own volition or whether it's the Mets front office trying to uh, slam the door on Jake on his way out, it's a bad look either way. Yeah. Because this yeah. is not this is not John Neese who we're saying goodbye to. Like, this is yeah, a guy who at his healthiest and best was the best pitcher on the planet, a certifiable Hall of Fame talent, a guy who won two Cy Youngs here and probably could have won four if he stayed healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, and it's also just, I think, kind of, I don't know. Again, like, I'm, I, I shouldn't expect people to who aren't like fans all the time to be professional fans. Um, if you followed this team long enough, or if you read about this team enough, you know that there isn't really a very rich history of Mets finishing their careers as Mets. Um, some of this is not always the player's fault, right? Tom Seaver didn't choose to leave the Mets. The Mets chose to move on from him, and that was horrible and embarrassing. But, you know, Mike Piazza didn't stay a Met his entire career. He moved on. The team moved on from him, but he also made a decision to move on. Um, Doc Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, they didn't choose to remain Mets through their career. They were pretty ugly um you know, splits with the two of them and the front office and the press ran them out of town the same way that we're seeing it with DeGrom. I just, I don't know. I, I, I think that at some point, and you, you hear the way people talk about those two players now as though they were martyrs. And I mean, to a degree, they kind of were Doc and Daryl. They were treated very badly, you know, for what they were going through. Um, it It just seems like time and time again, with this franchise that does not have much of a track record for like developing a player like Jacob deGrom uh, and really hitting like that with somebody uh, for people to sort of sour on them now, I think, especially fans, especially older fans, really, because it's mostly older fans who are especially hurt by this. And it's kind of like, you know, I understand that, the idea of guys getting all this money is new to you. Um, but the, the idea of a guy being great on the Mets, but not spending the rest of his career in this dumb little uniform is not, it's not new. He's not stabbing anyone in the back in a way that other players in the past haven't also done. I mean, remember when Jose Reyes left the Mets for the Marlins? I'm like, this is probably the closest thing to that I remember being in like I was probably must have been like 11 or 12 and um like I was really hurt people were really really mad that he took himself out of that last game and then he went to a division rival um yeah but same you I mean now like people People look at him and they realize that he was one of the best shortstops they ever had. People might even give him too much credit at this stage in the, you know, in the whole experience. But um, I mean, really, it's I think everyone's going to get over this and appreciate DeGrom because the Rangers do come to City Field in August this year. So as long as DeGrom's healthy, which a lot of people have joked, Heyman himself has even joked that he may not be, which that might have been the lowest of low. I realize we didn't even touch on that, but. Um, you just can't say that if you're a journalist, if you're a reporter of any kind. Um, yeah, if you intend to get, you know, be taken seriously yeah. as someone who covers baseball, it's a real bad look. 
yeah, really bad. But when DeGrom comes back, I have no doubt that he's going to get an ovation. Um, oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, time heals wounds, right? Yeah. Time heals wounds. And, like, the pain that we're feeling here in December is going to feel a lot more muted uh, at the end of August. Um, and I think that, you know what, the team, there's, I think it's a good time to pivot here in this yeah. conversation to something similar is that how do the Mets bounce back from here? Because they tried spinning this immediately. The Mets think it's a good thing that he signed elsewhere uh, early in the offseason. If he was going to sign elsewhere, they would prefer it be, you know, early in the offseason. So they have time to pivot to some of the other really good arms, you know, all that stuff. So, I mean, the op- opinions that we're feeling about Jacob Grom, the emotions we're feeling on August 28th, in regards to Jake, are going to be kind of forged in the fire here, maybe even this week, with the winter meetings going on on in San Diego right now. There are good arms on the table. DeGrom is really the first chip to fall, and he was the necessary chip to fall. It was either him or Verlander who was going to fall first, uh, so that every other starting pitcher could start moving once that market was set, Um, really, because... I mean, Tyler Anderson fell, but that was, uh, as we talked about, he was kind of a guy who probably should have accepted a qualifying offer and then took the the first good contract on the table for him. Uh, there really hasn't been a lot of movement on the starting pitching front. Uh, Matthew Boyd is getting like 10 guaranteed million dollars, which is ridiculous. He threw like um, five minutes worth of pitches for the Mariners this year. This is Kyle Gibson erasure. You know what? I'm glad Kyle Gibson is signed. I'm very glad he has. And I'm I, you know, wish him the best with You're the Orioles. Forgetting that Noah Syndergaard met with the Orioles. Yeah, but so a lot of other pitchers have met with different teams, including the Mets. The Mets have had Zoom calls with Andrew Heaney and in uh Jamison Tyone and uh Justin Verlander and Rodon. Carlos Rodon. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of arms out there, and every report we keep saying is the Mets want one of the, the top tier guys, either Verlander or Rodon, and they want one of the, the second tier guys, the Heenies or the Tyones or the Sengas or what have you. Um, and they might, you know, Bassett, they want Bassett back too. Like they uh, probably are going to get what they want because they're Steve Cohen's Mets. They probably do come away with two starting pitchers. Um, the question is, is are they going to walk away? with the correct ones which i've got opinions about uh i know you probably have opinions about but fact of the matter is is that the two factors that are going to play the biggest uh role in how mets fans are feeling when the rangers come to town in august is how they replace the grum and how the team is faring in season which we won't know for a few months but we will know one of these things soon and that is how the Mets intend to fill those rotation spots. So it seems like the biggest buzz right now is on another aging right-hander in Justin Verlander. Uh, how do you feel about him being the DeGrom replacement, that top-tier guy that the Mets might look towards, as opposed to Carlos Rodon? I like it. I I really like Carlos Rodon also. I'm not – I'm still sort of – I still need to be convinced, honestly, that either one is better than the other Um, because I would be happy with both of them. I think Rodon has a a similar arc at this stage in his career 
I see something similar to Zach Wheeler. Um, I see someone who's like really learning how to locate velocity is learning to tunnel his stuff. Um, but you know, you're also looking at someone in Rodon who is going to want probably more, uh, than Verlander will at this stage in his career. And in Verlander, you are still looking at a sure thing, even if it's sort of a similar gauntlet that you're running with the pitcher who's getting older across a full season. I, I will say if you go the route of you should, first of all, go the route of having a two, three combination that is better than the DeGrom Bassett combination. I think you desperately will need that going into next year because Max Scherzer is only going to get older. Um, the offense is only going to get older. You need to counter that in some meaningful way. Um, so it, even if Verlander and Rodon is, is too complex for their budget, it doesn't work. I mean, we, I say the word budget as though it exists, but let's say that that doesn't work for them because they get outbid for one of them. Um, if you had Verlander and Senga, that's also perfectly fine with me. Um, if you went, um, you know, Rodon and Senga, that would be fine with me. I'd even be fine with those two guys as replacements for DeGrom, Bassett, Walker as a tandem if you had Verlander and Senga um, or Rodon and Senga for that matter. I think really the key at this stage um, is for one thing, it's to obviously offset the loss of Jacob DeGrom. Um, for another though, because you're probably going an older route regardless, even if you don't get Verlander and Scherzer is still your ace and Carlos Carrasco is still in your rotation. Um, you know, you're going to need to stock up on depth. You're going to need guys uh, who are going to support the pitchers in the rotation who can't go 30 starts in the year. Um, you need someone, probably someone better than Trevor Williams. And that's not a knock on Trevor Williams because he was great this year. But in the same spirit of offsetting what you're losing, um, fighting fire with more fire, I think you probably would want to pivot to like Ross Stripling as the next Trevor Williams. If he wanted that deal, he might actually want a, a, a starter's contract. Um, but that would be just, I think, one example. And we talked, I guess, a little bit about like Michael Fulmer. I don't know if he takes on a long relief role. Probably not actually, but like maybe Mike Miner takes on a long relief role, right? Like maybe you go in some sort of direction with the analytics crew that you've built up um, and you have a tandem of guys behind David Peterson who can come in at any point. Um, I think that's sort of equally important. I, I understand that the, the real subject here is how you offset losing Jacob deGrom, but I think uh it also is going to have a lot to do with how they prepare for, you know, another year of Scherzer and Carrasco in their rotation and potentially another year of someone like Chris Bassett or like Justin Verlander, as good as Verlander is, uh, there should also be a contingency plan. That's not to say you shouldn't get Verlander, but you should prepare for the things that come with getting Verlander. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think there is also kind of an intangible that's at play here that must be considered when building this rotation out, and that is the long-term health of the rotation. And I don't mean health in terms of like arms holding up over a full season, which, like you mentioned, plays a role when you're looking at guys who are, in Verlander's case, 40, 
um, and Carrasco getting up there too, and and obviously Scherzer. I mean, in terms of being able to have a stable rotation from season to season, which is a concern at this point because you look after 2023 and who do you have coming off the books in terms of the rotation? You have Carrasco coming off the books. He's in his contract year. And Max Scherzer has an opt-out after 2023. And we saw what could happen with an ace pitcher and an opt-out. Um, now, do I think Scherzer exercises that? I really have no clue at this exact moment in time. But he he might. He could. And if he has a good year, he could. Because uh, there's a lot of money to be made as a free agent starting pitcher. And he's not older than Justin Verlander. So, you know... Why not test the market? If Verlander's a guy who might make 35, 40 mil a year, um, Scherzer might have the liberty to do just that as well and uh, and gain a little bit more security year to year than uh, playing out the rest of his Mets tenure. So you have to think about that. You have to think about, are there any starting pitchers right now who are willing to go multi-year, long-term contract with, who were comfortable doing that, who we think... In three years from now, we still think they're capable of being in our major league rotation. I think Carlos Rodon fits that for me. I think that you saying that he reminds you of Zach Wheeler is fairly spot on. Because the biggest knock on Rodon so far this offseason when discussing him with other Mets fans about is there a reason not to sign this guy? The health is obviously the reason. He has had a lot of health issues over the years. He was a fast riser. He was a first-round draft pick by the White Sox. He rose to the majors very, very quickly. And this year, 2022, maybe his best year, was certainly his most durable year through 178 innings. It was the first time he's ever thrown more than 132 innings in a season, mm-hmm. which is a red flag. That is a red flag that a pitcher has only put up that many innings in a season, a full season's worth of innings, once in his career, and it happened right this year in a contract year. That's a concern. It's a concern for me, but as we saw, I mean, his two most healthy seasons have been the last two. Yeah, uh, he is starting those to. Those are the best seasons. Yeah, by far. Which, much like Zach Wheeler, uh, when a guy starts to build up durability on an arm that has been hurt a lot. Sometimes you can believe it. Sometimes you can believe that they're turning a corner and sometimes they stay healthy. And Rodon is also very good. He had a great year this year with San Francisco. I mean, he was a true ace for them, a true probably top 10 pitcher in the National League, maybe baseball in general, and a guy who I think fits a number two behind Max Scherzer very, very well. Certainly a guy who uh, pitches with intensity. He pitched some big games for the Giants, even though the Giants were not really in the thick of it for much of the season. He had a good year for them. Whereas with Verlander, I just, I have concerns with the age. I mean, I I understand the guy unanimously won the Cy Young this year coming off Tommy John surgery. That's great. But the, the most I watched Justin Verlander this year was in October when he frankly just wasn't that good, where he looked like an older pitcher. And then you couple that with the fact that Max Scherzer Similarly, had a great year during the regular season, but you could see the signs of wear and tear. You could see the signs of fatigue in October. In in the last few starts of the regular season for Scherzer against the Braves, 
and then against uh, the Padres in the wild card series where he gave up home run after home run. I mean, there was pretty clear uh, fatigue going on with Max. So when you have two older guys uh, who have great track records, they're going to be in Cooperstown uh, before long, you know, you put those two guys at the top of the rotation and it's, it's very alluring because they're, knowledgeable they're very talented they'll probably be great in the regular season just have concerns in month six and seven uh where they're going to be at because we've seen we just saw it with scherzer uh if it's maybe not the best idea to uh to trust these aging arms um when it's prove it time i and it might be an irrational fear because I don't really think Verlander's had a ton of reasons to show me that, but it's a fear I have nonetheless. And that's my main point of contention with Verlander. My gut just tells me I don't know if he's the guy. Right. I think ultimately the question to ask then between those two options is how we think the Met front office is hardwired to fix this rotation up because there really are two different roads they can go down. They've already gone down this first road with Scherzer, right? Which is take the best, most decorated pitcher that's on the market. If he's old, give him only two years or three years with an opt-out after the second year, what have you. Um, And you sort of cobble that together in short-term increments. Um, That's the first road to go down. There are negatives to that which you've outlined um you're dealing with a guy with a lot of mileage uh the positive is that it gives you the freedom to eventually never have to hand out a deal like that again because you're not hamstrung in year four or five of Rodon um which you would be if you gave Carlos run on a deal the question though should be I mean if we're talking about flags flying forever um the decision they have to make needs to be informed by who's going to give you the best years one and two. I think Rodon gives you the best years one and two. If you're also worried about three, four, and five, go Verlander, I guess. Either way, get Senga, get Kodai Senga. He'll give you five great years. I really do mean this. I think like I've never been this on board with getting anybody before, but I really like this dude. He should be in the rotation regardless of what happens between Rodon and Verlander. I, I want him to. Yeah, you and you and Mike a few weeks ago, our episode with Michael Mayer, you guys, that elevator pitch on Sango really sold me, and I've been on that train ever since. I think that he is a non-starter. Like, no, well, okay, that's a bad way to put it. He's a starter, obviously, but it, the conversations around the starter, I think he's the the, the second guy to pick. In every scenario, I would so much rather him than Andrew Heaney. For, like, that's not even a question. So much rather him than Jamison Tyon. The only reason Jamison Tyon's even being talked about is because he is like the most white bread guy on the market right now. Like, he is the guy who is going to be the quote unquote best bang for your buck. In an expensive starting pitching market, you can get him on a little cheaper deal and he'll still provide you 145 decent quality number four, number five starter innings, whatever. I really want Senga too. I think that when it comes down to it, ultimately it depends on exactly how long Justin Verlander sees himself signing a contract for. Because if he wants a third year guaranteed, 
I don't think I do it. I I just am not comfortable with that age number starting with a four uh, for a guy who I'm supposed to trust for 33 starts, you know, over the course of a full season. I just don't think I trust it. I believe that I would trust Carlos Rodon on a five-year contract much more uh, working out in favor of the Mets long-term than I would Justin Verlander on a three-year contract. I, I think that's just where I stand with it. If Verlander wants a one plus one, you know, one plus an option. I might be intended to do that. If Rodon wants six years and he has every right to ask that after DeGrom got five, I also would have to think about it seriously. Yeah. But if he's willing to take a five-year deal, I would do a five-year deal for Carlos Rodon. He's only 30. Yeah. He's, he's uh, only 30. He just came out of the Giants Academy, basically, right? We talked about how he's shown himself. Um, I think it just comes down to what you want out of a win now year, who you think is going to help you win now more. Um, I mean, yeah, every option beneath them too is just kind of the Taiwan Walker replacement, which we can run through those two in a sec. But yeah, they have a lot of different, like you can also trade, right? You can trade for like Pablo Lopez. You could trade with the Diamondbacks potentially. Um, I mean, I don't know. The option to Otani is a starting pitcher. That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's also inevitably going to be the question of like how much can the Mets really expect to give and win a bidding war over. Um, It's part of why like the Brian Reynolds trade, I think, will never happen because someone will have a better package lined up for Brian Reynolds. Um, Yeah. Mets should just re-sign Brandon Nimmo anyway, in my opinion. Like, don't don't say goodbye to DeGrom and Nimmo um keep Nimmo because if you get if if you lose both of them that catch that he made in September that amazing legendary clip you know the one I'm talking about I was there catching and Nimmo I was catching there. it like I guess the I don't want that to go to waste completely so keep Nimmo I'm with you I we can pivot over to that because yeah the starting pitching market once you get past those top guys there are more guys there, um, but I, I tend to agree. I, I think that the Mets right now, where they can flex the most muscle is in the free agent market. Um, I think that barring a trade for a certain uh, two-way star out in Anaheim, they should probably keep their top prospects to themselves, um, especially if they'd be dealing with uh, smarter organizations, of which the Angels are not particularly among them in terms of guys that I would be uncomfortable, you know, organizations I'd be uncomfortable trading prospects to like the Brewers or the Astros or the Dodgers or the Giants, uh, et cetera. So whatever. I mean, that's the trade market. Pablo Lopez. I don't think, I don't see that happening. I mean, who knows? He would be a cool get. Can't beat him, join him kind of situation for him because he never seems to pitch well against the Mets, except for that one at the end of the season um, where the Mets kind of needed to win every single game. He pitched pretty well against them. But the one before that, he was real bad down in Miami. Yeah, yeah, so the Nimmo stuff, that I guess is a silver lining people have suggested from the lack of DeGrom is that now the Mets can really... I guess bump the offer on Nimmo by a few mil if they need to. Like they can beef it up because 
you know, if they were really expecting to sign a starting pitcher for $45 million this offseason being Jacob deGrom, and, and now they think that they can get Verlander for 38, that's five to seven mil in leeway, I guess, that you could spend elsewhere if you truly have no budget. Uh, Nimmo is such a no-brainer deal for me in kind of a similar way that Edwin was. Like, they really have to get that done. Like, not even a no-brainer for both sides because Nimmo's a Boris client, whatever. He, he's not from this area of the country and might want to move somewhere. I don't know. You never know with these guys. Dumb old Texas. It is. It's literally the SpongeBob episode. Yeah, it dawned on me this morning. It is just the SpongeBob episode, which made it a little bit better. What did uh, you say about Texas? The stars at night are dumb and dull and dim in Texas. That's a great <laughs> episode. That is an all-time episode. It is a good, a good SpongeBob episode. Uh, I think the Mets front office tried to do that at any point hey jake are you aware that you're going to to dumb crab yeah jake are you aware that you're going to dumb old texas well clearly no because they didn't really talk to jake much that last day well he didn't he didn't they didn't give him a chance to counter counter, yeah right that's one of the few times where i do really believe that the mets didn't get a chance to like i don't think the mets wanted to really right but i also think that i mean the writing has been on the wall like you said like think it was kind of over for 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 jake i think we were hoping that it wouldn't be um but he's not the kind of guy to spend his entire career in a in a met uniform and play in new york and like that doesn't make me want him to be a hall of famer less um, yeah, I think I would still like to see his face in bronze with a Mets cap above it. That'd be oh, neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we were talking about Nemo, right? Yeah, we were talking about Nemo because we were talking, we were making fun of them for being hillbillies. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just mean you don't really yeah. – players have various um, reasons for wherever they sign or wherever they might want to sign. Sometimes when we uh, we hear, oh, this guy is from the East Coast. He wants to stay on the East Coast if, if preferable. Sometimes that is a load of hooey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, I mean, oh, Bryce Harper is looking at apartments in, in Long Island City. Remember that? That was a rumor that happened once when Bryce Harper was a free agent. I, I don't remember that from that offseason, but I do remember when the White Sox signed like Yonder Alonzo. And John and Jay. They- and John Jay, and they were like, these are Manny Machado's friends. They're yes, signing. John John Jay is Manny Machado's close friend. It was a bunch and of Yonder Alonso. It, it was ridiculous strategy. John yeah. Jay is Manny Machado's friend. Yonder Alonso is his brother-in-law. If we sign both of them, certainly he will go here and not San Diego, who want to pay him lots and lots of money. Yeah. Um, Let's make him play in the same city as his in-laws. Great idea, guys. Great call. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, they got to sign Nemo. I mean, they really have to. Center field, I mean, there's there's a lot more starting pitching options yeah. on this market. When you look at it from a pure objective baseball perspective, there are a lot more starting pitching options that you could fill a rotation with than there are decent center fielders. 
Like it is Nimmo. And now that you have Brian Reynolds and whatever this saga with the pirates is going to wind up looking like as an option on the trade market. And even him, like he was not a very good defensive center fielder this year. That is a guy who should be in a corner, Mm -hmm. but a team will trade for him to play center field. Probably the Yankees or something. I don't know. Uh, but this is your time. This is the time to negotiate with Nimmo. And what you tell him is, yeah, you don't want it. If you don't want to come here, we'll just go to Brian Reynolds. This is the offer. Take it or leave. Um, and Scott Boris also- is going to turn around and say, what are you going to trade to the Pirates? Yeah, he's going to say, to who? For what? Um, but literally, yeah, it's – keep keep Nimmo. You have no recourse. It is a lot like Edwin Diaz in that – um. Like, what are you going to do with for what in-house option do you have to offset losing Brandon Nimmo? I mean, it's not like they have an in-house option for DeGrom, but like you have ways to pivot. You have ways to get creative. People are like constantly rethinking and reinventing the wheel when it comes to these starting rotations. Like we've seen the Giants do this already. Yeah, there are um, two. There are two other aces on the open market that you can sign. Again, pure objective, purely like not looking at it as a Mets fan. Like if the Mets want to replace DeGrom with another ace, they can do that because there are two of them on the market. They can sign for money. The next best free agent center fielder. Do you not know who it is? I genuinely am having trouble coming up with it. It's like Kevin Kiermeyer, And he didn't even play this year, practically. Or Adam Engel. He got non-tendered. Right. Right. I mean, the I mean, if if you believe Judge is a center fielder, which I don't. Oh, wait, term. wait, wait. Cody Ballinger. Sorry. Sure, but he also might be irreparably broken beyond repair as a hitter. Yeah. Yeah. No, the point still stands. Yeah. I mean, it's it's if you the guys on the market who can play center field, obviously it's Judge number one. He played a lot of center field for the Yankees this year. And then it's Nimmo, and then it's like 50 feet of crap. AJ Pollock. I don't even think he played much center field this year, and he was hurt a lot as White Sox. Yeah. It's 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 pretty bad. It's like Jackie Bradley Jr. Oh, Adubel Herrera. No thanks. Uh put oh, it Tyler at that. Naquin. Hi, Tyler. Um, Tyler Naquin, also famously a very good New York Met. Uh Kevin Pilar. Nope. Ooh. Bradley Zimmer, you want a guy who'll bat 114, Bradley Zimmer. Um, you see, you might be surprised to learn I'm not all that interested in signing Bradley Zimmer. Look, the Phillies had him at one point, and they went to the World Series. That's all. And don't make me tap the we have Jake Mangum to sign, the sign that says stop telling me we have Jake Mangum. Don't, don't make me tap the sign that says stop – telling me that we have Jake Mangum because Jake Mangum is not a prospect. Maybe not for long. Maybe not for long, Sam. Rule five draft coming. Oh, facts. Because the team is totally going to take Jake Mangum. Look, the Yankees had a lot of stories about missing Brett Gardner. Did uh did the Yankees, did Yankees non-tendered Aaron Hicks or something like that? I don't know if they can. Did I, they, I, him? He's, they extended him. Like they gave him a, a contract a while ago. Oh, right. He's not arbitration. There's no eligible. clause in there. It's part of the whole. I mean, the only way just to completely pivot for a second, and we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this one. I'm just going to throw it out there and it either hits or misses. 
I think the only way that the Jacob deGrom thing uh, gets better for us is if the Yankees lose Aaron Judge. Because uh, there's no, there's never been a moment where people that root for the Yankees were thinking, yeah, Aaron Judge probably doesn't want to be in New York the rest of his career. Like, you know what? It would be very... <sighs> it would also be so much more embarrassing, right? Because, yeah. like, with the yeah. season that he had just now, um, and when you're the Yankees, and you know that, like, the Mets are going to have a better offseason money spending-wise than the Yankees are, as it is, uh, because that's how last offseason went. That's how it seems to... this. George, Steve Cohen is pretty much the Steinbrenner now. Um, I'll tell you one thing, and it's 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 to the point I think that you're trying to to make yeah. is that it would be rather tasty if Aaron Judge signs with someone who's not the Yankees, and I really I don't really care who. I'll say that I really don't care who. I think it would be hysterical if he signs elsewhere. Um, I don't want to go into the Braves. Yeah, I could do without that, but I I also don't think that's happening. The the pure Schadenfreude. Is that the term? The the happiness that you feel at other people's misery? Yeah, I think I'm I, I, I should know that, but I think that's the term, the German I'm word. an English major, but yeah, not a German major. I, I will say what I was gonna say, it makes me smile because I I firmly believe that Yankee fans have already started coping. A Yankee fan friend of mine who I talk to a lot about baseball almost every day. He he saw the report that Judge might want nine years, and he said, "Yeah, if, if Judge signs for nine years elsewhere, let him walk." Because that's coping. I know you're going to be rooting for that team in nine years, brother. I know you're still going to be rooting for them. Like, yeah, come on, you're still going to be really, rooting. For we're really scared about years anymore. Time isn't real. Like, come on. Yes, if players are really that bad by year nine of a contract that they sign, they're not going to be on that team in year nine. God, and they've also just been so cocky about Garrett Cole now that, like, the actual best pitcher in New York is gone. It's just, oh, this is the new best pitcher. It's like, you know, you spent a lot of time when Jacob deGrom was in New York insisting that your guy was the best pitcher in New York. It's very funny that they, you know, they come back out after DeGrom leaves. It's sort of a, a self-own, if you will. But yeah, um, it's just fun to see the pre-coping happening. Even if he signs with the Yankees, like that's what should happen with a guy who had as good a year as Judge had. Like that's what should happen. But it's also genuinely hilarious if he signs like a seven-year contract with the Giants. Yeah. It would be so funny. It would be great. I mean, it would be even funnier if he went to like the Rockies, you know, just go somewhere where it's not even a a possibility that you'll win. Can you be – we're a serious podcast. Can you be serious for one second? Look, Chris Bryan did it. I mean, People, they've already they have expressed interest in Brandon Nimmo. So if the if the Rockies no, signed the Nimmo Rockies, out from underneath no, the Sam, the, the joke is that every guy who becomes a vi- like Daniel Bard signed an extension to stay there, like at the trade deadline. 
Yeah, there is something in the water there. There's something. I don't think it's weed. I don't think it has to do with weed. I think it's something else. But they It's that crisp Coors Mountain it's water. Zaza. It's the it's the Coors Zaza. Ridiculous. The Rockies are so silly. Such an unserious franchise sometimes. Yeah. And by sometimes I mean fairly often. Aaron Judge is a little silly. I don't know. Good. I don't I, I don't think it's actually going to happen but like it would be really funny. Yeah. It, it would, would be, be like, it would be funny if he signed with like did you see the graphic that MLB Network put out of like projected Giants lineup with Aaron Judge in it and it had it still had JD Davis batting cleanup. Torture. Like it was it was like I don't even know who was leading up, but two, three, four was Judge, Jock Peterson, JD Davis. I thought they non-tendered Jock. No, no, they they qualified him and he he accepted. Oh, you Jock know had a good that. year this year. He hit like twenty three on. He had a good year. Jock's a good player because he's got a good on base skill. I guess he's got good vibes too. I I, I would have liked to have him on the Mets. Yeah, that could have been really funny. He feels a little, maybe it's just the fact that he's Jewish, but he feels a little Mets. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, you would have Jock Peterson and David Peterson. That could be kind of funny, even though they're they're not spelled spelled differently. No, they are spelled differently, but it could be. Peterson. You could do like a a little law firm thing, Peterson and Peterson. Peterson and Peterson, yeah. Yeah, LLP. Ha. Huh. There you go. I'm I'm not funny. Um we're uh, we're guys. Yeah, let's remember guys. So we're pivoting over into the guys who could be Mets based on vibes. Let's move into guys who were Mets. Um Why don't you go first, Jack? Putting me on the spot. Okay. Um, Do you have a guy. I've got like a gimmicky one and I'm afraid to say it. Why don't you say it? Why don't we remember Jacob DeGrom? Nah. Is that mean of me to pull out this week? No, it's it's not. Because, you know, we never mentioned, uh, we haven't mentioned yet that we both went to his last game as a we Met. We did. We, we both did do that. The only playoff game the Mets won in 2022 was started by Jacob DeGrom. Um, after the game, he was asked... Hey, how does it feel? You might have just pitched your last game as a Met, and he was like, "Bro, don't ask me that right now." Yeah, that was a stupid question, and it was his last game as a Met, and we were both there. And he he finished very, very strong. He was a little shaky in the middle, but he pitched very, very strongly. I there's Jake is a guy who his legacy as a Met will i think i think you know the cream rises to the top right 10 years from now people are not going to think about the injuries they're going to think about how good he was in his two Cy Young seasons they're going to think about the the hair and the the, uh, rookie of the year they're going to think about that start in la in the division series in 2015 um i guess both of them really because he started games one and five game one was a huge Tone setting game, struck out like thirteen dudes. They yeah. were two very different kinds of Jacob Degrom games too, which is the other thing. Like the first game, he was 
in a zone, unhittable, got like his one Daniel Murphy hit of support, and that's all he needed. And in the fifth game, he was like the the guy who got knocked around a little bit and then just basically did the baseball equivalent of when you're playing a video game and you're getting beat. So you like lean forward in your chair and get a better view of the screen and you just start going off. Totally a thing that works actually in real life too, by the way. It does. It 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 does. does. I do that. Yeah. I do that. He would do that. Jake would do that a lot. He honestly, he did it in that game too against the Padres because Trent Grisham almost owned him. I mean, he did own him with one swing, but like that could have been a, that was like, yeah, yeah. It is, I guess, in a way, fitting that that his last career start went that way because, like, early career Jacob Degrom was very much, um, defined by that kind of start. Mm-hmm. Where, like, yeah, there were the starts like Game One of the Division Series where he struck out like thirteen guys, where you see the flashes of the dominance that that came to came to fruition, you know, a few years later. But a lot of his most impressive outings were games in which he clearly didn't have his best start and he still found a way to shove like six, seven quality innings where he would maybe allow a handful of, you know, a bunch of traffic. He might give up seven hits and two walks, but he only gave up one run in six and two thirds. And he still struck out eight guys. And it wasn't pretty, like the line looks a lot better after the start than you felt during the start. Yeah. It's like, how is he going to make it through this? And then you look at the line and the Mets win the game four to two. He had a lot of those kind of games early in his career. And it was always super impressive. I think people did focus on that. I think sometimes they were like talking about how he had these, this ability to just work through things on the mound. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this goofy looking lanky guy with long hair. And he made quite an impression in those first yeah. few years. And uh, once the hair came off, so did the, uh, so did the reins. And um, those two years when he was at his peak and healthy were uh, a, a treat to uh, to watch as a fan. And I don't know the next time that we're ever going to be able to see anything quite like that. Yeah. I don't know. Though. It's, a, it's a changing business, too. You see a lot of teams are much more willing, I think, to move on from players now than they used to be because, um, you know, ultimately people want to see their team win more than anything uh but yeah it it was really fun going through college and having I I wouldn't call it a hero because at that age you don't really have heroes anymore but to have like every five days just a you know an opportunity to just shut yourself in your room and watch them and everyone who knew you and knew baseball was like oh it's Jacob deGrom so he's you know Jack's not gonna Jack will come out at like 9.30 when Jacob DeGrom's done. Like, this is just how it, this was what it was. And it it was like clockwork once he cut the hair, which is very ironic. He got a haircut and it's like he got a real job in a way. It was um, uh, the pro. it was, everyone kept making Samson jokes, but they were, it was right yeah. there. Well, yeah, I remember that there was talk in like 2015 about him cutting his hair in the off season. Uh, he was going to do it and then he just didn't. Uh, and I was at the time I was so relieved and now I'm like it's 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 also strange just to think about how much time has gone by obviously uh 2014 2015 like that whole rotation is no more um 
I think we alluded to this talking about Matt Harvey last time, but like, yeah, that whole era of our lives is now past us. He was the last holdover from the World Series team, period. Right. The right longest tenured Met right now is Tomas Nito. Literally Tomas Nito. Um, if Nimmo resigns, it's it's him. Yeah. To or be- Lugo. Or Lugo, which again doesn't know. seem like that's happening. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, my guy, I guess, this has helped me land on a guy. Uh I had a couple moments in that game that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I really, the Jeff McNeil hit comes to mind because that's when the game basically blew open and it was like, all right, they're going to win. I think if there's one Jacob deGrom pitch, it's the one he threw Juan Soto that like knocked him on his ass kind of, but also it was a swing and miss fastball that knocked him on his ass. Like he literally, Juan Soto down on a knee swinging and missing at a pitch um that first inning I will never forget that first inning that was incredible but one of my favorite moments from that game uh and I'm really hoping to have moments like these next season uh and hopefully he'll be here next year but it was so it was the sixth inning let me look at the box score I want to make sure I get this right um I mean, this is how you know it's very niche because I'm going into the box score. Um, I have no idea where you're going to go with this. Yeah, well, you'll know in a second. So here, fifth, sixth. All right. Yeah. So Blake Snell's out of the game. Uh, The Mets are ahead three to two. This is the inning before Jeff McNeil broke it open. But it started with Darren Ruff getting hit by a pitch. Uh, And it was like... All right, Darren Ruff just got on base. Tomas Nito's going to come up, and then it's top of the order. This is it. Like, they're breaking it open right now. And I knew that – I thought that they were going to. Nito hit into a double play and ruined everything. But at that – in that moment, I could not stop screaming. I was like five beers deep because I was very stressed going into this game, and I couldn't contain myself. I could not stop screaming – I went, send in the little guy. Give me the little guy. I need the little <laughs> guy. Where's the little guy? And then yep. Terrence Gore came out to run for Darren Ruff. And my entire section just started screaming. Like it was, that was something also that just, I took a lot of joy in and remember very clearly just being. You know, just a, a a little guy coming into the game. I'm just remembering the little guy. He was just a little dude. He literally immediately got doubled off on the double play. Like, it didn't amount to anything. They didn't even score that inning. The McNeil stuff happened, like, the inning later. But um, he didn't even get a chance to run. Not really. Yeah, he didn't really get to, get to run. It was like a literally the first pitch Nito hit into a double play and uh, squashed the whole fun of it. But when Terrence Gore would come into games to run like that last month of the season, it was really cool. Um, I hope that he stays a Met. We won't know where he is until September of next year because he's always someone's September pickup. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's, like, that's, I mean, you have you also don't really have any recourse if Terrence Gore isn't there. Right. Who do you go to? Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's no one quite like Terrence. 
I mean, bring him back. I keep him around as long as he can run fast. Yeah. I mean, just uh, stash him off the 40 man down in, in Port St. Lucie until August 12th and then start getting him at bats and then bring him up when rosters expand. I'm down for it. it his vibes, what he brings to the team off the charts. It's good stuff. It's a, it's boomers might say, you know, the, the quote unquote smart baseball people, they might say he's a waste of a roster spot. I say he brings intangibles and that intangible is he go fast. The intangible is I love him. That's the intangible. The intangible is that he's just a little guy and he zooms. Yeah. I mean, how can you even like. He moves so fast you can't even see him, and you're going to talk about his ability when you can't want, even see him. Want to see me steal second base? Want to see me do it again? There's oh, we want to do the Texas. You want to do the Texas bit again? You want? Oh, to I was doing it. Yeah, I was bringing it. Bring it back to another SpongeBob reference. Bring it back to SpongeBob. Let's do the yeah. Um, God, fucking Texas. All he's right, just Jake. a little goofy goober. He, well, he's only going there because they have Whataburgers like. And McDonald's everywhere. That's all this is about. Yeah. He can get as much Mountain Dew as he wants. It's yeah. I I'm I'm also so jealous of him that he can just like eat whatever he wants and simultaneously do all this stuff. It's it's one or the other. You either eat really, really well and you're a peak athlete, or you're not a peak athlete but you have just a great time like binge eating junk food. I've been trying to eat healthy. I've been going to the gym for like the last three months, like three, four times a week. I feel a bit stronger. I don't notice much of a change. I think, I think that it is as much genetics as it is anything else. And Jacob DeGrom got the genetics that means he keeps off weight and he throw baseball hard. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the luck of the draw. Jackson Degrom is going to be like a nuclear talent. Then is is what you're saying? Maybe. Who's to say? Because I'm I'm not a geneticist. This is not a genetics podcast. You and me both. It is a Mets podcast, though, and we are two fairly sad Mets fans because. Man, it was, the body wasn't even cold, and the Rangers just put out that graphic of him in a Rangers uniform, and then the and then they put out a photo of the actual they pr- they printed a physical jersey. Like he they, hasn't they, even given a statement yet, which could no, just, he hasn't. I mean, that's just Jake being quiet, Jake. I but, imagine, um, I imagine it will come closer to his like Rangers press conference or whatever, but. I think so too. Uh, he's got to do one, right? I hope so. He can't not do one. No he player kind of a, doesn't do one. It would be a, a, a rather large middle finger to Mets fans. If yeah, he did. it would hurt. Even if well, it's a huge it sense. would also just like you know that like Sal Licata would have all sorts of awful opinions about it. Oh, it's as much ammunition as any of those guys would ever need to bash yeah. Jacob Degrom. It would be bad. Yeah, I mean. Man, they didn't even have the courtesy to like get the jersey name right. Like like Not they true. use they use mini miniaturized uppercase letters for the D and the E. That's not how we do it. Mm-mm. You gotta go lowercase for the D and the E, and then you can go standard jersey font for the G R O M. Gotta 
these are the things that you got to get right. If, yeah. I guess on the bright side, my phone will be a little bit less spasmic now that I probably won't have to type the word DeGrom nearly as often and like figuring out capitalization if I start a sentence with the, the, his name. Right. That was always impossible writing articles about him. I never got that right. Yeah, I I still don't know what the the correct thing to do is. Yeah. I guess I capitalize. If, you start, I guess if he... you start the sentence with his last name, the D is capitalized. Yeah. And if All you right. don't, it's it's lowercase. Why I don't know. But it looks wrong when it's capitalized. I think I see. I feel the same way too. That's also how you were supposed to spell Travis Darno's last name. Like the D is capitalized if it starts a sentence and otherwise it's, I don't know. I don't know if that's an editorial thing or if that's an algorithm thing. It might be an algorithm thing. Um, Maybe. I don't know. I have a journalism degree. You would think I'd be able to figure this out, but it's gotten the better of me. I mean, look, English major don't know schadenfreude or whatever it is. That's a German word. It's not an English word. No, but it's a word that like intellectuals use all the time and i you know this guy paid for a degree in a language he's already fluent in yeah yeah i'll get you next week i'll I'll get you next week listen i'm unemployed man minor league baseball teams come knocking i'm looking to broadcast for you whatever we'll talk next week (laughs) i think that's a good place to put a pin in this episode uh episode 104 we have descended into a, a bit of delirium uh because jacob grom no longer a met hey listen it's 10 30 p.m right now rumors have been swirling all day people who probably don't actually have sources have been trying to scoop justin verlander to the mets all day and it hasn't broken officially yet who knows if it will if justin verlander is reportedly a met by the time you listen to this episode just know that when we recorded it, that wasn't the case. But uh, I'm just covering my bases here. He's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lebowitz. Be sure to go back, listen to other episodes, whatever. We had a fun episode with Mike Mayer of Metsmerized a few weeks back. That was episode 102. This was episode 104. Go follow us on Twitter at the PGE pod. Uh, we'll be back next week. This one's in the books. Sam Lebowitz, Jack Hendon coming at you. And Mets fans, have a pleasant evening.